Romans chapter 14. We're going to look at uh, one verse today. Romans 14, verse 5. This is uh, for a sermon I've entitled, The Sabbath Debate, Do Christians Need to Keep the Sabbath? So Romans 14, verse 5, here's what it says. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each, each person must be convinced in his own mind. You know, one of the results of the fall of humanity was that we began to experience feelings of alienation, not only towards God, but also towards our fellow human beings. You know, before Adam and Eve sinned, they had a perfectly harmonious marriage. But after they sinned, not only their marriage, but their family life was torn by strife. You remember their oldest son murdered their secondborn. That wasn't the last case of fratricide that the world has seen. But this uh, alienation that results uh, turns into mutual hostility, which is not only which has not been contained just in the family, but has spread to uh, clans and tribes and ethnicities and nations. The Turks massacred a million Armenians uh, between 1915 and 1916. Less than 30 years later, uh, Hitler and the Nazis liquidated six million Jews. In 1994, in Rwanda, there was an ethnic war which caused uh, 500,000 people to be clubbed and macheted to death in less than 100 days. I mentioned Croatia. Suzanne and I were there last year. When we were driving through the countryside, I noticed all the houses that were empty and the ones that were destroyed as a result of the war at that time. Well, their civil war took the lives of 130,000, displaced 400,000 people in that nation. And of course, the examples could be multiplied again and again and again. There's ethnic division in Paul's day, though, as well. The Greeks considered themselves to be superior to the Romans, which the Romans thought odd considering they ruled over the Greeks. The Romans considered the German tribes to be barbarians that we would look at like cavemen. And as far as the Druids and Celts in England, well, they were barely human in their mind. Well, for the Jews, the division was not so much one between ethnicities, but that of religion. In the Jewish mind, there were the Jews and all others. And the Jews knew that they trusted in the true God, while Gentile neighbors worshipped false gods, the vain imaginations of men's hearts. Jews and Gentiles, as a result, had a mutual hostility towards each other. But for those who trust in Christ, whose work has brought an end to alienation, not only between God and man, we have a new situation. Reminding the Gentile readers of their pre-Christian past and their state, Paul said this, Therefore remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcision by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, foreigners of the covenant and promise, without hope and without God in the world. This is our ancestors. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups into one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, he pur uh, purpose, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which Jesus put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, Gentiles, and to you who were near, meaning Jews, 
For through him we have one access, access to the Father by the Spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's own household. You see, the church is the place where alienation has ended and reconciliation has been achieved. Jews and Gentiles have been united with each other in Christ. But listen carefully. What God has declared in principle requires us to maintain in practice. It was for that reason that Paul spent two chapters in the book of Romans dealing with issues that were dividing the church in Rome, specifically keeping special days or eating or not eating certain foods. Paul's great concern was that the church maintain its unity and mutual love even while its members might have differences and strongly held opinions regarding these that Paul considers secondary issues. Last week, we looked at how Paul approached the issue of holy days and kosher diets. This week, we want to uh, focus on one particular holy day, that being the Sabbath. Because in Paul's day, and also in our day, there are Christians who believe that uh, all believers are obligated to follow and to keep a Sabbath, while others say, no, Jesus fulfilled that. That relates to the Old Covenant. We're under the New Covenant. So which of them is right? And how should we approach this? That's what we want to consider. The Sabbath debate, are Christians required to keep the Sabbath? And to do that, we're going to pray and ask God's help. Father God, I do pray for grace and mercy. For some people, it's not an issue at all, but for others, it's a, a very important issue. I pray that you'd help us to see what's at stake in this, but help us to come to the conclusion that Paul does as well. So bless us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I have to say, for most Christians today, they would wonder why this would even be an issue, whether to observe the Sabbath or not. I mean, how is it debatable? I mean, of course we don't have to do this. I mean, didn't Jesus free us from all those Old Testament rules? I mean, don't work on Sunday? I could say they pay me double time on Sunday. Of course I'm going to work on Sunday. And when I'm not working, I'm fishing and hunting and camping. Where else am I supposed to do, or when else am I supposed to do these things? I heard one person put it this way. They said, in my grandparents' generation, it was called the Sabbath. My parents called it Sunday. We call it the weekend. Paul said that one person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in their own mind. For a lot of Christians, it's not that they're fully convinced after a careful study of the scripture or a deep concern to honor God by their chosen practice. Rather, they think, you know, this approach is more convenient. It works for me. I mean, it's like picking a restaurant. I like this one. You like that one. No big deal. But think about it. This issue is important. One side of the bait is saying this. If you do not keep the Sabbath, you are sinning. Some on the other side are saying, by insisting that all Christians keep the Sabbath, you're imposing commands on believers that Christ himself did not impose. So what do I want to do in this sermon? This is not your outline yet, but this is my goal. So the first thing I want to do is give you an explanation of the basic idea of Sabbath and its significance in the Old Testament. Secondly, I want to give you a few examples from the Gospels where Jesus had conflicts with the religious leaders over the issue of the Sabbath. Third, I want to present the arguments made by those who say that Christians should keep a Sabbath. And fourth, I want to present the arguments made by those who say Christians are not required to keep the Sabbath. So the first thing you can write down, this is your first heading, is the Sabbath in the Old Testament. I suppose we should start by defining our terms. The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, sometimes pronounced with a B, Shabbat, which means to rest. And the first place that this word is found in the Bible is in Genesis 2-3, where we read this. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from his work which God had created and made. The next reference to the Sabbath comes in the book of Exodus. Remember when God had provided 
manna for the people when they were out in the desert. They were told that they were to go and to collect the bread on six days, but not on the seventh day. The sixth day they were supposed to correct, uh, collect twice as much. Moses said, eat it today, for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will f- not find it out in the field. Of course, you know, they went out anyways and didn't find it. The most important reference to the Sabbath, obviously, is in the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. It's the fourth of the Ten Commandments, which reads this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day it is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, your male or female servants, or your cattle, or your sojourners, who uh, stay with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in it and rested and on the, on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now this was a commandment. It was not a suggestion. It was one that had the death penalty attached to it if you did not obey it. You might recall that right after the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, one of the Israelite men went out to gather up some firewood on the Sabbath. And someone pointed that out. And so God, or Moses brought it to God and said, what are we supposed to do? He said, I told you what to do. Stone him. And they stoned him to death. Now, it's not just that they couldn't do any work. They weren't even allowed to light a fire on the Sabbath. Exodus 35, 3 says that. Pastor Allen's wife, Louise, uh, when she was a young girl, she worked for a Jewish family. And one of the things she had to do was to turn on the lights on the Sabbath day. Why? Because in the minds of an Orthodox Jew, turning on a light is the equivalent of lighting a fire. There are 613 commands given to Israel in the Old Testament. Uh, Some of them seem to be of of lesser weight, like not wearing clothes with mixed fabrics. But this one was different. This was at the center of what the religion was about because the Sabbath was the central thing for the religion because in keeping the Sabbath, they were symbolizing that they were resting and trusting in God. Every seventh year, the land was to be given a Sabbath. You weren't supposed to plant anything on it. Let it... What comes up, come up by itself. And they were supposed to do this. this. And for many years, they didn't do it. And so God sent them into captivity. He said, you're going to be in captivity for the number of years you didn't give the Sabbath rest. In Isaiah 58, 13 to 14, God promises this. If because of the Sabbath, you turn your foot from doing your own pleasures on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own words, then you will take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was central to their religion and to violate the Sabbath was a great sin. Well, that brings us to Jesus in the Sabbath. That's your second point, Jesus in the Sabbath. Now, when you read through the Gospels, you'll find out that Jesus often clashed with the religious leaders, and many times, probably over the, uh, the most often, was over the issue of the Sabbath. As a devout Jew, Jesus certainly kept the Sabbath. But what exactly did it mean to keep the Sabbath holy? Uh, that issue is what caused the friction between Jesus and the religious leaders. Well, one Sabbath, Jesus was walking through a grain field with his disciples. And as they were walking, they are picking off heads of grain, and they were rubbing the husks off of them. And they're popping them in their mouth. And all of a sudden, some Pharisees came jumping out. Said, you're just desecrating the Sabbath by harvesting the grain. And Jesus answered them by pointing out, well, what did David do in his day? Do you remember? He was running away from Saul, and he stopped at the tabernacle where the priests were. And he said, you know, my men and I are famished. Do you have any bread to feed us here? And he said, well, the only thing we've got is the show bread, the holy bread. But that's reserved for the priests. And he said, well, give it to me. 
and they fed it to him and he ate it. Ate it. And, G- and Jesus is pointing out, he said, G- David, was not, David was the Lord's anointed. He was in desperate need. That took precedent over the rules related to the showbread. Now Jesus is the ultimate anointed, the ultimate Messiah. His needs would take precedent over their understanding of the Sabbath. Well, the Sabbath was supposed to be a day of rest, but what happened was the religious leaders had added all kinds of man-made additions to these simple commands. And so what was supposed to be a blessing for the people became an extra burden. Now, do you remember when Jesus was speaking in the synagogue on the Sabbath and they brought in a man who had a withered hand and they, they questioned Jesus asking, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they might accuse him. And he, meaning Jesus, said to them, what man is there among you who have, if he has a sheep who falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Now, how much more valuable than a man, uh, uh, is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched out his hand and he restored it to normal like other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. The healed man found rest and mercy on the Sabbath day. But the Pharisees went out busy at work thinking of a way to destroy Jesus. We read, and it happened again, that when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, they were watching him closely. And there was in front of him a man who was suffering from dropsy. That's a retaining of water. And Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. He took hold of him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which one of you who will have a son or an ox fall into a well will not immediately pull him out, of the sa- out on the Sabbath? And they could make no reply to this. Luke 14, 1 to 6. Jesus said, man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath for man. If keeping the Sabbath becomes a burden, it's something wrong either with the way we're keeping it or our spirits as we do. I have to tell you, if you, if you're, if you take a vacation and you come back stressed from it, you are not doing vacations right. The center of vacation is vacate, which means empty. So when Suzanne and I went down to Florida, what did we do? We sat on the beach. What else did we do? We sat on the beach. And what did we do after that? We sat on the beach. <laughs> well, here's the question, though. Are we required to keep the Sabbath? That brings us to our third point, the Christian and the Sabbath. Now, there's three positions that have been advocated when it comes to this question. Some say yes. We should keep the Sabbath, and it should be Saturday. This is the position of the Seventh-day Adventists, also Seventh-day Baptists. I remember one well-known Christian uh, singer a number of years back said that his band was invited to perform at a Seventh-day Adventist church, which they did. And they were singing the children's song, Everybody Ought to Go to, uh, what is it? Everybody Ought to Go to uh, Sunday School, Sunday School, Sunday School. And he said their eyes got wide as saucers. Oh, everybody ought to go to Saturday School. Saturday school, Saturday school. Well, some evangelical churches do Saturday night services, but it's not because they believe in keeping a Sabbath. It's just another option for attending. Well, the second position is to say, yes, you should keep the Sabbath, but it should be on Sunday. Let's start with that second part of that statement. It should be on Sunday. Those who hold this view, and I think they hold it correctly, point out that the early Christians met for worship on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, rather than on the seventh day, which is Saturday. Pastor Jeff learned Russian when he was in the Air Force. The Russian word for Sunday is what? Yeah, I I practiced that, but I thought, now I'm going to let Jeff pronounce instead. What does it mean? Resurrection. Resurrection. The Greek word for Sunday is kyriaiku, which means 
of the Lord's Day. Now, the book of Revelation, John said that he was on the island of Patmos, remember? He said he was there on the Lord's Day. The early church fathers, when they speak of the saints gathering together, refer to it as the Lord's Day, not the Sabbath. The Didache, which is an early writing, one of the earliest writings of the Christian church outside of the Bible, specifically says, but every Lord's Day do we gather ourselves together and break bread. Tertullian in AD 200 in his Apologia said this, We solemnize the day after Saturday in contradistinction to those who call their day the Sabbath. There are a number of church fathers who mentioned the fact that Christians gathered to worship on Sunday rather than Saturday. But while those who hold this view that Sunday is the Christian day of worship, they also are arguing that it needs to be a Sabbath that you cease working on. Luther believed this. Surprisingly, John Calvin did not. The Puritans and those who followed him, like Jonathan Edwards, were strong Sabbatarians. The Westminster Confession of Faith, which is the standard for the Presbyterian Church, says this, The Sabbath is to be kept holy unto the Lord when men, after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering of their common affairs beforehand, do not only observe a holy rest all the day from their own works, words, and thoughts about their worldly employments and recreations, but also are taken up the whole time in the public and private exercise of his worship, his duties of necessity and mercy. Understand what they're saying? So their position is there's a Christian Sabbath. You cannot work on it. Well, what are the arguments they make for a Christian Sabbath? By the way, the last position is the one I'm going to argue for at the end, and we'll get to that. Well, here's what they would say. First of all, God rested on the seventh day and sanctified it. It's a creation mandate, therefore it's obligatory on all men. Marriage. Let me ask you a question. Would you go to, if you had, if you had people you were working with who are Hindus, and they were getting married, and it was going to be a Hindu priest that was performing the marriage, and they invited you, would you go? Some of you just, well, it depends on what the food is, I don't know. <laughs> I would. Here's why. Despite the fact that it's a pagan religion with pagan priests, marriage was given to all mankind. And two pagans who get married with a pagan priest are just as truly married as two people who get married by a Christian pastor. It's a creation mandate. Okay? So what they're arguing is this is a creation mandate. It goes back to creation. So obviously if God sanctified the day, that would include all mankind to keep it. What did we read? By the seventh day God completed his work and he rested on the seventh day from all of the works which he's done. Then God had blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because he rested from all of his works which God had created and made. Here's the second thing they say. The command to keep the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. Are we supposed to put an asterisk next to it? These are the Ten Commandments, but this one doesn't really count anymore? It just seems obvious. I mean, these other ones we would expect have to be kept. And considering that the law is summed up in the Ten Commandments, why would we say that this one should be taken out? Here's the third reason they give. In the giving of this commandment at Sinai, God supported it by citing the creation story. Remember the Sabbath, remember it seems to imply that it was already understood that they had a previous obligation laid down upon all mankind. Here's the fourth one. A day of Sabbath rest is valuable not only for our spiritual health, but also our physical health. They had a Sabbath year for agriculture. Does it not help the land to let it go fallow once every seven years? The year of Jubilee, after seven years of seven. 
You got your 70 years, and, and, or the 49th, yeah, and then it comes to the 50th, and what do you have? You're released from all debts. So there was a Sabbath built into the whole system. By the way, we have remnants of this still in our country. Can you, are, if, you, if you want to go buy a car, can you find a car dealership open in Minnesota on Sundays? No, they have to be closed. Liquor stores, I don't know if it's changed now, but for the longest time, they were closed on Sundays. When I grew up, I would go to small towns where my cousins lived. Everything was closed on Sundays. In Germany, I think, they still have blue laws. They see some value in it. Of course, it comes out of a Christian understanding of keeping the Sabbath. Well, here's the last one. There's an issue of continuity and discontinuity. That's just big words. What's separate or what continues from the Old Testament and what's different? And what they would argue is this. If it's not specifically repudiated in the New Testament, then we have an obligation to keep it. Doesn't that make sense? Okay. All right. How about the arguments against the Christian Sabbath? And this is where I come down. First of all, there's no record in the Bible of anyone observing a Sabbath before the time of Moses and the law. Noah and his family? Nope. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? No. There's no explicit command before the book of Exodus that they were to keep a Sabbath. Number two, Exodus 31, 12 to 17, specifically says that the Sabbath was given as a covenant sign between Israel and God. Listen to what it says. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, But as for you, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, You shall surely observe my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Therefore, you are to observe the Sabbath, for it's holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death, for whoever does any work on it, that person will be cut off from among his people. For six days, uh, for six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath complete rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath shall surely be put to death. So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout the generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from his labor and was refreshed. Nehemiah 9, 13 to 14, in recounting what God had done for Israel, he says this, Then you came down on Mount Sinai, this is Nehemiah speaking to God, and spoke with them from heaven. You gave them just ordinances and true laws, so that you made known to them your holy Sabbath, and laid down for them commandments, statutes, laws through your servant Moses. When did he make known his Sabbath? Only on Mount Sinai. Not before. In the Old Testament, the pagan nations around them are denounced for many sins, but never do you find them denounced for not keeping the Sabbath. That would make sense if the Sabbath was given to the Jews specifically and not to mankind in general. Here's a third reason. Nowhere is the command to keep the Sabbath restated in the New Testament. All nine of the other Ten Commandments are restated in various forms in the New Testament. The one that is not is that of keeping the Sabbath. And number four, when the Council of Jerusalem addressed the issue of whether Gentiles had to be circumcised and keep the Mosaic Law, they decided no, they did not have to. They did give some specifics to make for peace between the people, you know, don't eat things that are strangled and blood and abstain from fornication, which obviously everyone, but they didn't make no mention of keeping the Sabbath. 
And that's one of the things that divided them. So you would think if they thought they had to keep the Sabbath, they would have mentioned it. Here's a fifth one. Trusting in Christ for righteousness is what the Sabbath ultimately pointed to. Once we've trusted in Christ, our Sabbath rest has been reached. Jacob, Jacob Nessner died, uh, Neusner, I guess it is, died a few years ago. Um, he was a Jewish scholar. He'd written like 200 books, and he wrote some books uh, related to Christianity and Judaism and the interplay between them. Uh, he said this. He said, The Sabbath is where the Jews met with, G- or met with God. Jesus, in calling himself Lord of the Sabbath, is saying that it's in me and through me that you meet with God. Remarking on how the rest that God had promised his people was speaking of a rest found ultimately in Christ, the author of Hebrews writes this. He says, For if Joshua had given them rest, meaning after they took the land, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself rested from his works as God did from his. In other words, when we rest in Christ, we've rested from the works of trying to earn our salvation. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. Hebrews 4, 8 to 11. So, I have to make an application here. Non-Christians are always restless. Augustine was right when he said to God in a prayer, You have made us for yourselves, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until he rests in thee. Remember what Jesus said? Come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's through his death on the cross as the payment for sin that Jesus can reconcile us to the Father and give us the rest that our souls long for. Here's the sixth reason. In the two passages where Paul specifically mentions the Sabbath, he tells us that Christians are not bound to keep it. In Colossians 2, 13-17, Paul writes this, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. In other words, all the sins, all the charges against us. Because remember when Jesus died, they, they put a... The charge above him, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Because when, a, when Rome crucified someone, the, the crimes that they were committed and convicted of would plastered across the top of the cross. And what Paul is saying here is your sins were nailed to Jesus on that cross. And the debt against you was canceled out as a result. It says, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them when he rose from the dead. Therefore, listen to this, let no one act as a judge in regard to food or drink in respect to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath days, things which are the mere shadow of what is yet to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. In other words, don't let anyone cast judgment on your practice of keeping these days or not. So some argue the other way by saying, but, oh, but Paul's only speaking about special kind of Sabbath days here because the Jews had more than one Sabbath. I mean, it wasn't just in that week. On certain times, there were extra Sabbaths that fell in there. But it seems to me that that doesn't really work with this, and especially with the verse that we have today. Once again, verse uh, 5 said this, One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, wouldn't that include a weekly sa- uh, Sabbath? 
I mean, he doesn't say, except for the Sabbath, which, of course, every Christian must keep. I mean, if Paul were sitting and listening to a debate on the Sabbath, Paul would say that we're free to set aside a day that's special to the Lord or not. Whatever you might think is best way to honor God, well, then just do that. I remember one guy talked about how his father would carry a gas can in his car full of gas always on Sunday, just in case he would run out because he would feel bad about stopping at a gas station where someone would have to work on Sunday as a result. Now, is that required? I don't think so. But did he do it because he honored God and he wanted to serve him? Well, then that's all that matters. Let me give you some concluding comments on this. All right, here's the first one. Equally godly people can come to different conclusions on this. Equally godly people can come to different conclusions on this. Number two, you're free to set aside Sunday as a special day where you don't work and refrain from engaging in your normal activities. Just from a health standpoint, I think it's very wise to do so. Number three, number three you are not free to look down on other people who come to a different conclusion than you do. Number four, however we view this issue, listen carefully, because here's where the application is. Because I, I would guess there's not many people here who are thinking, yes, I have to keep the Sabbath. However we view this issue, God expects Christians to gather for worship weekly. It says in Hebrews, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, it's interesting. There's things in our world going on right now that appear to make it look like the day is drawing near, right? Did you know one-third of the people who, Rob is telling me this, one-third of the people who were interviewed said that it would be worth risking a nuclear war to deal with the issue in Ukraine. Are they crazy? Now, I'm not making any pronouncements on what they should do. But Jesus said, you'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. That's what we're hearing. We, we're seeing things change so fast in our culture. Is it hard to believe that Jesus could be drawing near? And yet in the midst of it, churches shut down for a year because of a cold. Violating this commandment. And saying we're perfectly justified in doing so. Now we kept meeting. But you know what? I watched lots of people in that last year just drift away. They took it as an opportunity to stop coming to church. Some of them went to other churches. Some of them aren't going to any church. You know what's ironic about a sermon like this? You know, Preston, uh, the guy who I record with for our um, radio ministry, he said there was a pastor that he knew of, and they had a Sunday night service, right? And he really wanted the people to come to Sunday night service, and some people did and some people didn't. But he would always rail about the people who weren't. He said, think about it, the people who you're railing against are the ones who are actually there. You know what's ironic? The people who need to hear this most in our church are not here today because they're out doing something else that they think matters more. I mean, I understand, we all understand, kids get sick, things come up. But let me ask you a question. If you were as erratic and careless in getting to your job as you are getting to church, would you still have a job? Your boss is just your boss. If you're a Christian, Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Do you think he deserves better from you than your employer does? You can be a part-time employee. But listen carefully, folks. There is no such thing as a part-time Christian. Every person, without exception, pursues what they see as valuable. If we don't pursue God, it's because we don't see him as valuable. If we don't see him as valuable, 
we haven't had our eyes open because he is valuable. If we haven't had our eyes open, we're not born again. If we're not born again, we're not going to heaven. We prove our faith by the way we live and the things we pursue. Pursue God, and one of the best places to pursue him is in church, especially on a Sunday morning. Let's pray. Our Father God, uh, this was a bigger issue in Paul's day than it is in our day. There's not a whole lot of Christians who are concerned about this. But if you were to go back even 150, 200 years ago, almost every Christian would have taken the other view that, yes, you have to keep a, a Christian Sabbath. But I think on either side, if the people are doing it in order to honor you, then it's for the right reason. That's the whole point Paul makes. We're not supposed to judge others on uh, this, but we're supposed to be convinced in our own mind. But, Lord, there is no question that we are to gather to worship you, to learn your word, and to hear about the gospel message. And so we pray that you would make us more dedicated in our uh, spiritual disciplines of getting to church, getting to Bible study, getting to uh, these places on time, to pray, to do all these things, because this is for our ultimate good and for your glory. And that's, if, if our own happiness doesn't tempt us to do this, I don't know what would. So bless us now. Give us grace. We ask in Jesus' name.